0: You can take your Bibles, turn them with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. We're in Joshua, chapter 1. If you're using these black Bibles, and we've got them scattered underneath the seats throughout the sanctuary, so if you need a Bible, uh, you can borrow this, or you can have it. Uh, You'll find the book of Joshua on page 167, and we are in chapter 1. How shall I save this quest from disaster. That's what Aragorn cried out at the beginning of The Two Towers, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's sequel to my all-time favorite book series, The Lord of the Rings. It's been a while since I've talked about The Lord of the Rings, so you, you owe me this here. Uh, Aragorn uh, is the, the hero of the story and and he finds himself in a dire situation. Uh, he and his band of companions, the fellowship of the ring were uh, they were bound together by a mission to defeat the villain and the fellowship was breaking apart. Uh, one of his fellow heroes was, was slain, a couple of them were captured, two others have gone off on their own, and it seemed like the whole mission was unraveling and disintegrating, uh, and it had only barely begun, and a sense of futility and despair was creeping into our heroes' hearts. I wonder if Joshua had felt that way as he stood on the banks of the Jordan River, A river that he was supposed to lead his people across to to fight against a a people who were mighty and powerful and who had terrified and intimidated the previous generation of Israelites, A, a people he was supposed to lead because their previous leader, the greatest leader God's people had ever seen, Moses, was now dead and gone. And he's probably feeling more alone than he has ever felt with a half-trained army made up of ex-slaves and the sons of slaves, and as Joshua stood there did he himself think, how can I save this quest from disaster? I think we can all relate to the sense of hopelessness when all of our plans go awry, when, when things don't turn out the way that we had hoped, when the, the challenges of life overwhelm us, when fear of the future overtakes us, and when the path set, that is set before us just seems impossible, we we know that God has brought us into the situation of life that we have found ourselves in, but we have no idea how we're going to successfully get through and and successfully navigate all the challenges that lay ahead. Uh, If you are a fearful person this morning, or if you are weak this morning, or if you are on the edge of despair, or maybe you have fallen into despair headlong, then the book of Joshua is for you. And God has a word for you this morning and in future weeks as we go through the book of Joshua. And the reason why you'll find this book helpful and encouraging is because ultimately this book is not about you. I wonder if that surprises somebody here that that you're not the main character of the story. It's not about you. Uh, too often we get into a dark place because we're navel-gazing. Uh, I'm speaking here from personal experience, just focused on myself, self-absorbed. Uh, we're focused on our weaknesses and our issues and, and our inability and and how those things then stack up against the difficulties of life. but. But what the book of Joshua is going to do is take the spotlight off of you, and that's a good thing, and put that spotlight on where it needs to be because the main main character of the book of Joshua isn't you and it isn't Joshua. The main character is God. And the main topic is God's faithfulness to His people. And what you and I need in challenging times... In dark times, what we need more than anything else is an increased awareness of and confidence in the faithfulness of God. And so I'm very excited to get us started this morning uh, in earnest in Joshua. So let's get to work starting right now. Please stand with me out of honor and reverence for the reading of the words of our great and glorious God, Joshua chapter 1. Thus says the Lord. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the, as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you." But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp, and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, Then you shall return to the land of your possession, and shall possess it, the land that that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they commanded Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray this morning that you would speak through a, a tired and weak and unworthy vessel and that you will bless the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word, for our good, and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You will not be able to successfully be a Christian without two things, strength and courage. Both are needed to live for God. Uh, uh, For everything that God has called you to do and has called you to be, it will take one or the other, and often it will take both. It takes strength and courage if God has called you to glorify Him in the face of a devastating medical diagnosis. It takes strength and courage if you're a teenager to, when your peers are urging you to do something that you know won't honor God, for you to actually say no to that thing even though your friends are going to think you're weird. It takes strength and courage to endure persecution for your faith. Or to confront someone in the church who's gossiping and for you to say, you know what, we should not do this. Or to turn down a job promotion because you know that it'll compromise time serving your family and serving your church because you'd never be home. It takes strength and courage to speak the truth when people start asking you what you think about gay marriage and transgenderism in a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to the biblical response and to the people who give it. It takes strength and courage to, uh, if you are bound up in a sinful addiction, to open up and confess that to another person in the church and get help and accountability for that thing. It takes strength and courage to evangelize and tell other people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our fear and our focus on our weakness keeps us from obeying God in so many areas of life. And in Joshua chapter 1, as God is calling Joshua to a new endeavor, uh, there can be no doubt that temptations to fear and worries about his weakness and his inability are, uh, invade his mind. Uh, Joshua is not as young and spry as he used to be. It's been 40 years since he led Israel into battle against the Amalekites way back in Exodus chapter 17, but perhaps the most devastating thing is that Moses is dead. Joshua was his right-hand man. That was probably a very comfortable place for him to be, but now he's put in an intimidating new position. And the book of Joshua opens in a a jarring way after the death of Moses. It's very jarring, especially after spending so much time with Moses as he wrote Genesis and he was featured in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, and Moses has loomed so large and for so long in the early parts of the Bible, and now suddenly he is gone, the greatest leader that Israel has ever seen, a man who God worked through him, and and, and the Red Sea parted, and and miracles happened, and food was, was created out of nothing. This great man, this great leader Moses, is now gone. And Joshua now finds himself the new leader of well over a million people, and he needs strength, and he needs courage, which I think shatters our stereotypical image of Joshua, where we tend to think of him as some sort of uh, superhuman superhero guy, kind of like Aragorn, who Aragorn, by the way, never seemed to be afraid, even when staring down 100 armed orcs. Uh, We think Joshua is like that. I don't think so. And Deuteronomy 31, when he commissions Joshua uh, to take Moses' place before Moses has even died, the Lord says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then after Moses dies, we see this refrain repeated here in chapter 1. Uh, God gives the same command to Joshua in verses 6 and 7 and 9. And then the people, the people then say the same thing to Joshua. The people now are saying it in verse 18, Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why the repetition? Because evidently Joshua was tempted to be weak and fearful. Uh, Repetition is always important, by the way, in the Bible. Um, Hermeneutical tip here for you, a Bible interpretive tip. Uh, Consider repetition to be the ancient equivalent of a highlighter. Uh, This is something that God wants not just Joshua to get. But subsequent generations of believers to get as they're reading this, because no matter what time period you're living in, and no matter what God is calling you to do, you will need strength and courage to successfully and faithfully do it. And in chapter 1, we have God's ingredients here. We have the things that God's people need for a strong and courageous life as we follow the Lord. In faith, And the first thing that we need is the assurance of God's promises. The assurance of God's promises. Look again at verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Notice that the first thing that God does after declaring the death of Moses is that He gives a command... And it's a command that is rooted in a promise, in God's promise. Look at verse 3. He says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised. God promised long ago that the descendants of Abraham would become a great nation, and that they would possess the land of Canaan as a gift from God. And from these people in that place would come worldwide blessing. And after 40 years of waiting, now the time to, uh, has come for the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise. And there's two obstacles to the fulfillment. One is the Jordan River that is at this time of the year very deep and overflowing. And the other obstacle is the evil Canaanites who are currently occupying the land. Uh, but nevertheless, God says, this is going to happen. Every place your feet will tread upon, I have given to you. Notice there that he says, I have given it to you. That They haven't even crossed the river yet. They haven't even fought a single Canaanite. But God speaks of the fulfillment of the promise in the past tense as if it's already done. And he speaks that way because it is a way of expressing how sure the thing is. God always keeps his promises. Our our God is in the heavens, the Bible says, and he does all that he pleases. So that means that if he makes a promise, it's as good as done. Uh, The scriptures say in Proverbs chapter 30, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Every word of God proves true. That that phrase there carries the idea uh, that every word of God is well tried. Uh, The idea is that God's word is a proven foundation for life. You can bank on it. You can rely on it. You can build and base your whole life on what he says. and You can take refuge in him, in that, in his promises. In the promises, there's refuge, there's safety, there's security, there's strength. You build your life on what he says, as opposed to building your life on what you feel, uh, which is what we tend to do, which is what I tend to do. Uh, we, we feel a certain way about things, and, and that controls our response and controls our actions. Uh, we base our lives on our perception of reality detached from the Word and the promises of God, which is exactly what that first generation of Israelites did 40 years prior, right? God had promised that if they would step out in faith on the basis of promises and go into Canaan that they would have success and victory. And the people said, no way. That's impossible. We've seen the land for ourselves and the people are too strong. The cities are too fortified. They are giants compared to us. Have you seen how huge these people are? There is, there is no way that we're going in that land. We are not going to be able to take it. They didn't believe the promise. They were overconfident in their, in their interpretation of reality. And they were suspicious of what God said about reality. That's often what we do. We, we're suspicious of God. We're overconfident in what we think. We've we got to flip that, right? We, we should actually be instinctively and reflex, reflexively suspicious of our perception of the situation and, and instinctively trusting and confident in what God has said. But that's not what Israel did. They, they, they viewed the situation through the lens of their ideas and their wisdom and their perception. So then what happened? Their strength and their courage melted. And that led to disobedience. And as a consequence, they missed the blessing. And I wonder how often do we miss blessings from God because we respond to the circumstances of life based more on what we perceive and our interpretation of reality than we do simply on what God says and what He promises. Uh, We forget about God's promise to protect us to provide for us, to bless us, to to work out the circumstances of our life for good, even when, based on our perception, we can't possibly see how this thing might be turned around to, to benefit us. How different things might be in our service, and our ministry to others if we weren't distracted and and bogged down by worry and fear and we could just move forward in joy and faith and confidence knowing that God is handling all of the things that we tend to worry about. Because one of the main reasons that we lack strength and we lack courage to obediently press into what God has for us is because our hearts and minds are not fixed and focused on the promises of God. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 10, uh, where the, the author is writing to believers who had a choice between hiding their Christian identity and staying in the shadows, or stepping out in faith, exposing themselves to persecution as they took up the call to, in obedience, visit their fellow Christians who were in prison, thereby identifying themselves as Christians Uh, coming out of the closet, so to speak. And the author of Hebrews, in chapter 10, verse 34, says, You had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. In other words, you were able to press forward in courage and strength, Ministering to other Christians, not being concerned about persecutors destroying your property because you clung to the promises of God. You knew that God would have a better and lasting possession for you in the new heavens and in the new earth. So who cares if somebody burns my house down? I've got something way better coming than that. Take my house. I got a mansion in glory coming. God has a better place for me later. So, so let's go to prison. And let's love our brothers and sisters. It was their faith and the certainty of God's precious promises that gave them strength and courage to do what they ought to do. And so Joshua's strength and courage is not going to come through hoping in his military prowess and and his leadership abilities. It's going to come from the certainty of God's word coming to pass as he steps out in faith in response to that word. That's where strength and courage for God's people always comes from, trusting in the promises of God. And Joshua experienced that firsthand which is why he says at the end of the book, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord has made to the house of Israel has failed. All came to pass. And so the assurance of God's promise is essential if we're going to have strength and courage in following God. And this is closely linked to my second point, what is needed is a priority for God's precepts. Now, if this were a Hollywood war movie... Verse 7 might say something like, be strong and courageous. You are well-trained, you've mastered the martial arts, you can bench press a bus, you've got an awesome sword, you've got this, go get them. That's not where the Word of God takes us. Uh, he says instead in verse 7, Be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn to it from, the, uh, from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. So Joshua's success is not rooted in his biceps... And in his awesome military tactics, it's going to be rooted in a life shaped by the Word of God, or as verse 7 puts it, the law of God. Now, we tend to think about that word law in negative terms, don't we? Uh, We think of cold and harsh rules, and we think of punishments, and we think of things that we aren't allowed to do. But in the Bible, the law is seen actually as something that is precious to the believer, and so David writes in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Uh, David goes on to say that the rules of the Lord are more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey. The drippings of the honeycomb, moreover, by them is your servant worn. And keeping them, there is great reward. Success for God's people will be found through obedience to the Word of God. And when we say success here, when God's talking about success, it's not success in the way that many of us think of success. It's, It's not saying obey God's Word and you'll get a promotion at work and a better life, a pleasant life, your best life now. It is instead saying that as you stay on track with God's Word, Building your life on what he says, you will find success and blessing in doing the things that God has called you to do. And that's the key, the things that God has called you to do. Not not success in anything that you set your mind to do, no matter what it is. And by the way, uh, that is what Christianity has been reduced to often in popular culture. I believe in God, so God's on my side, and that means that whatever I do, God's going to help me do that. He's got my back. And they they will almost always quote Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And yet, at the end of it all, it's all about our plans and our agenda and the things that we want. And and then we expect God to come alongside us and just rubber stamp and bless whatever we do. And we presume upon God. That's what Israel did 40 years ago prior to Joshua chapter 1. Uh, after the people were um, disbelieving the promises of God, refusing to go into Canaan because they were afraid, and, and God cuts them off from the blessing of entering into the land uh, and says, you know what, you guys are not going to go into Canaan. Then all of a sudden, the people change their minds and say, well, wait a minute, we'll go ahead and go after all. And Moses warns them and he says, don't do that. God's not going to bless that. Uh, and they go in anyway. You see, it's all about them. It's all about what they wanted. When, they, when God said go, they wanted to stay. When God said stay, they decided to go. And Numbers fourteen forty four says that they presumed to go up. They presumed upon God. And when they pushed into the land, they got totally defeated by their enemies. People constantly disregarded God's word, which is why 40 years later in Joshua 1, the Lord underscores the fact that it is the man, it is the people who stay focused on doing God's word, on God's will, on God's agenda. They are the ones who experience true success. But that begs the question, how exactly can we get to this point of obedience? How, How do we have the strength and courage to even obey God's word? And I think we get the answer in verse 8. Again, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. So God is looking for people who have the word of God planted deep in their hearts. If you want to be obedient to God, not veering to the right or to the left, but going the way God wants you to go, it's not going to happen through the force of your willpower. It's going to happen through a transformation of your heart. The heart is the mission control center of your life. Where the heart goes, so you go. And God says to Joshua, take this book of the law, take my word, and sink it deep into your heart. Let it captivate and saturate your heart. And you do that through meditating on the word of God day and night. Now when some of us think of meditation, we, we think of some Buddhist monk He's kind of sitting in the lotus position you know cross legged and and, and and he's just he's saying i'm um, um, i'm meditating and in the eastern religions meditation is all about emptying your mind emptying your thoughts and, and you become very very passive is that what god expects us to do is that what god means by by meditation is that how you become holy by emptying your mind no That kind of meditation is actually the exact opposite of what the Bible means when it talks about meditation. Meditation in the Bible is not emptying your mind. It's actually about filling your mind, filling it with the Word of God, and it's not just reading the Word. You can read the Word and not meditate. Some of you probably know what it's like to read the Word, close your Bible, and you have no idea what you just read. Come on, admit it. Or is your pastor the only one? You may have been reading, but your mind was empty and obviously remained so. In the Hebrew, the word meditate means to mutter. Uh, when you meditate, you are speaking to yourself. You are taking what you have read in God's Word and you're thinking about it and you're turning it over in your mind and you're considering it and you're reflecting on it. You're pondering what is it teaching you about God, about life in this world, about yourself. You're, You're just filling up your mind with these things, taking God's Word and, as I heard one person put it this way, sucking the juice out of it. Absorbing it into your soul. And God tells Joshua to do this day and night, which is just another way of saying, do it every day. Do it often, not just in your morning devotions, but even throughout your days, you're going about your business as you are doing chores around the house, as you are commuting to work, whatever you might be doing, have, have God's word going on in the, in the background, in your mind, thinking about it, carrying it with you throughout the day. That's, by the way, this is why we promote The fighter verses every week, and we do Bible memorization. It's a great way to get the Word of God into your heart and and meditate on it. And when you have verses memorized, you actually, you have things that you can draw on through the day and and think about and and meditate on. And after exhorting Joshua to meditate on the Word, God then explains what the result of that's going to be. He says in verse 8, meditate on it day and night. Why? He, He tells you why so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. You see, as you meditate on the Word of God, as you take it into your heart, that mission control center, as it fills your heart, then it impacts how you live. God's Word is so in you that you just begin to instinctively and reflexively live according to that Word. Uh, King David wrote that, I will hide your Word in my heart. Why? So that I will not sin against you. So the purpose of meditation is not information. It's sanctification. To meditate on God's Word means that His voice is dominating your mind. And when I say his voice, I mean the things that you have been reading now are, are, are returning to your mind, and you're, and you're turning them over in and your and mind, and you're increasingly tuning out other voices. You see, so many people, even Christians, are letting their minds be dominated by other voices, by television, and, and, and movies, and music, and talk radio. It's not that those things are necessarily bad. But our problem is that we saturate ourselves with these other voices, many of them coming from an unbiblical point of view. And if we are hearing Rush Limbaugh and Taylor Swift and the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Lord of the Rings 99% of the time and the Word of God 1% of the time, if those voices are what's really capturing our hearts, do you not think that that will inevitably have a negative impact on our walk with God, on our attitudes? Do you, do you not think it will strip us of our spiritual, uh, moral strength and courage? Some people can spend days on end with Fox News or CNN on in the background while their Bibles collect dust on the shelf. And is it any wonder why we have an American church that is often weak and spiritually immature, caught up in trivialities and foolishness, or full of gloom and doom, acting like the sky is falling without any hope? But consider Psalm 1. Uh, the the, the blessed man, the, the happy man of Psalm 1, the one who has courage facing the future. Why is he the way that he is? Well, the psalmist says, "'Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night.'" And, and, and what's the result of that? Well, the psalmist goes on to say that, that as he does that, he is like a tree planted by streams of water, right? There's an there's a idea there of strength, of stability. Uh, and this tree yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In other words, it's, it's fruitful in, in obedience to God, and service to God, and service to others. In all that he does, the psalmist says, he prospers. So then the question is, what are you meditating on? What is filling your mind and your thoughts and your hearts? Young people, kids, teenagers, uh, you've got so many things in the world that are competing for your attention and competing for the affections of your heart with very attractive messages, but messages that often run contrary to God's Word. And so, young people and old people, please remember the wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs 4.23, heed it with all seriousness. He said, guard your heart, for from it flows the issues of life. Whatever captivates your heart the most will control you, so, so let it be the precious Word of God. And if you do, you will have good success wherever you go. Next thing we need for strength and courage is the promise of God's presence, the promise of God's presence. I think this is uh, the most precious of the promises in Joshua chapter 1. In verse 5, he says, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And then down in verse 9, he says, Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The reason Joshua can be strong and courageous And really the only reason that any of us can be strong and courageous and living for God in a world that is hostile to God and a culture that is increasingly pressuring us to compromise our faith uh, where the devil himself comes at us armed with cruel hate uh, is because we have the assurance of his presence which gives us strength and instills in us great courage. So no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad it gets, No matter how daunting the obstacle is, no matter how dark it seems, God's constant message to you is that I am with you. And if I am with you, whom then shall you fear? Remember what David said in Psalm 23 Even as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that, by the way, could be translated uh, the valley of deep darkness. Even in the deepest and darkest situation, I shall fear no evil. And and why is David fearless? Is it because David is powerful and mighty and awesome? No. He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's the presence of the Lord, not the might of David. That's the difference maker. It's, It's like the times when my kids were younger and they were scared of the dark. And maybe you parents you have some moments like this. Uh, uh, they would be afraid to go into a dark room by themselves. But when their daddy goes in, right next to them, holding their hands, uh, they can handle it because they believe that I can handle whatever is in that room. And it's not that's, that the, the circumstances have changed in, in the sense that whatever was in the room is still in the room when I come in there. But the point is, is that now I'm there. Dad is there it's going to be okay. And I think God wants you to know that this morning, that your Father is there, and He is with you in the deepest, darkest situations of your life. He is with you. Remember um, when the Lord Jesus appeared to Paul to give him courage, and how did He give him courage? He said, do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent. I am with you. And what God says to Joshua as he stands on the, at the edge of the entrance to the promised land that he was about to invade is not unlike what Jesus said to his disciples centuries later as they stood on the edge of a global invasion, spearheading a mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And in the midst of their doubts and fears, Jesus turns to them and he says, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Later in the Bible, the author of Hebrews takes Joshua chapter 1, and he uses it to, to help us see how specifically the presence of God um, helps us deal with specific, two specific fears. One is, the, is our fear of not having our needs met, and the other is our fear of man. Those are two very, very common fears. We often freak out because we lack money or possessions that we think that we need, and we're often afraid of other people of other people's opinions or opposition. Uh, we fear their lack of approval. We may fear persecution. We may fear their rejection. And how does the author of Hebrews deal with those fears? Well, he, he, he reaches back into the scriptures and, and pulls out Joshua uh, chapter 1. He says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Why? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? By the way, those, those are some good verses right there uh, if you're dealing with fear of evangelism or fear of standing on God's word in a culture that thinks that if you believe this book, you are a backwards idiot. If Jesus Christ is standing right there with you in that moment, and if he is for you, who cares what other people think? gives a rip, I'm more interested in what he thinks, and so I will not fear. So, the promise of God's presence brings God's people strength and courage. But there's another thing we learn in Joshua 1 that we can't forget, and that is the necessity of God's people. God isn't sending Joshua into the promised land alone, and He isn't exempting some of the people from the mission. Starting in verse 12, Joshua has this exchange with a portion of Israel, the the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he's reminding them of an event that takes place in Numbers chapter 32, where these tribes requested to not go into Canaan with their brothers, but to settle on the east side of the Jordan River. And Moses' reaction to them is interesting, and he says, this is in Numbers 32, Shall your brothers go to the war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? Your fathers did this when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshkol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord had given them. He's saying, guys, you're being exactly like that first generation of Israelites. You're being like those spies who discouraged the people from going into Canaan. And now if you stay behind, you're going to discourage this new generation of Israelites and everything is just going to repeat all over again. But Moses makes an allowance. He tells them, you can do this. You can settle on this side of the Jordan on this condition. If you pledge, when the time is right, to accompany your brothers into Canaan, help them possess the land of promise, help bolster their strength and bolster their courage by doing this thing with them. And so now here in Joshua chapter 1, Joshua is calling them to account, to make good on these promises because he is concerned about disunity in the people of God, a disunity which will bring weakness and it will bring discouragement and, and fear to those other tribes of Israel. And so... All of God's people are to be on mission together, each tribe playing its role. Because God always works in the context of a larger community, because God's always interested in not just individuals, but in a people, having a united people for Himself. Uh, There were to be no independent Lone Ranger Israelites just kind of going off and doing their own thing, they were to be in this together. And so God's other means to bring strength and courage to His people is through God's people. And what we read in Joshua 1 has implications for the doctrine and practice of the church today. Unity among God's people isn't an option. Division isn't an option. And as one commentator said, this does not mean that we have to feel all sticky and gooey about each other, but it does mean that we must care enough that we don't want any of the Lord's children to get discouraged There are not to be lone ranger Christians going off on their own, detached from the body of Christ, detached or or distant or uncommitted to the local church. Going back again to the author of Hebrews, he uh, underscores this fact in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider, he says, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The people of God are to be encouraging one another. To, uh, they're to commit to one another. That's why we emphasize church membership at Harbin's, because it helps facilitate that unity and that mutual encouragement and the giving of strength in the body. And, and unity among God's people who are on mission together brings strength and courage to the people, makes the people stronger. Of course, course it's obvious that that the unity here is is not just unity for the sake of unity or or just any kind of unity. Uh, The people at the Tower of Babel were united. They had a lot of unity. uh, But that kind of unity uh, was a unity against God. But the unity we see here in Joshua One is a unity in following God and and following God by following God's appointed man, Joshua. If you looked at it, verse 16, it says, They answered Joshua, All that you commanded us, we will do, and wherever you send us, we will go. So we come full circle back to Aragorn's question Who shall save this quest from disaster? Well, Joshua 1 gives the answer. Uh, The answer is all over the chapter. Uh, The answer to that question is bound up in the meaning of Joshua's name, isn't it? Uh, Joshua means the Lord saves. Salvation is always from the Lord. It it is why the people are to, in unity, follow God's man, banking their hopes on God's promises, building their lives on God's precepts, trusting in God's presence. When you are on God's side and when He is by your side, there actually is no such thing as disaster. Ultimately, victory is assured. Uh, Indeed, it is as good as if it has already happened. And therefore, God's people can be strong and courageous no matter what we face. And we today have more reason to be strong and courageous than Joshua and those ancient Israelites. Uh, They had God's Word collected in five books with a few promises. We've got more, don't we? We have the full counsel of God collected in 66 books with many more promises. They had over a million Israelites strong on the east side of the Jordan as proof that God was working in and through them. But the church of Jesus Christ has millions all over the world, millions upon millions, taking the gospel to every tribe and tongue and nation, a church that is unstoppable, even in the face of persecution. And we've got a 2,000-year track record to prove that and back that up. They were able, Israel was able to look back at past deliverances to bolster their faith for the future. They had signs and wonders in Egypt. Uh, they had a sea that was parted. They had bread in the wilderness. Guess what? We have a better sign of God's faithfulness to save us. We have the Son of God crucified and killed for sinners, taking on God's punishment as our substitute a punishment that we deserve so that we and all who hope in Jesus might be spared from eternal death in hell and might instead receive eternal life. And the empty tomb, the empty tomb of Jesus is the announcement that Jesus Christ's payment was sufficient and that the victory has been won. And if he has conquered death on our behalf, can he not conquer anything else that stands in our way? If We in Christ have victory even over the grave, then what or whom shall we fear? And that's why Paul in Romans 8 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? All things, everything that we need to do everything that God has has called us to do. And Paul goes on to say, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Therefore, Harbin's church, be strong. Therefore, Harbin's church, be courageous, for He will be with you wherever you go. His promises always come true. His presence is right there with you, even in you. He will be with you always, even to the end of the age.